right about now. Funk Soul Brother, check it out now. The Funk Soul Brother, right about now. The Funk Soul Brother, check it out now. The Funk Soul Brother. All consumers, all consumers, all consumers, all consumers. Right about now. The Funk Soul Brother, right about now. The Funk Soul Brother, check it out now. The Funk Soul Brother. All consumers, all consumers, all consumers, all consumers, all consumers, all brother. We loved Fat Boy Slim, didn't we? For a brief time, a brief, a brief moment, he was our national bard, really. A little pig-faced British man at a piano talking about the funk soul brother, talking about praising you. Uh, weapons of choice. Oh, man, don't ask me about the floating rock. I have no fucking idea. I'm not a science guy. Don't call me that. I'm not Bill Nye. I'm uh, I'm remarkably narrow in my understanding of the, of the world. Like, not even understanding, because obviously that's non-existent for anyone, certainly me. But rather, uh, for even, um, like, competence, you know, to uh, engage on it. It's mostly a mystery, because I can't do math. And I just sort of, uh, as a lazy little turd, was like, you know what? This is difficult. And uh, why should I try to do better? Yeah. I didn't really see the point in uh, doing good at anything when I was a kid. Uh, that, has, that feeling has uh, persisted ever since, and has gotten me where I am today, which is not an endorsement of me or my worldview, but rather a absolutely lacerating indictment of the uh, world that I've uh, emerged into that let me float like a turd through the fucking sewers into where I am. Okay, yeah. Did I say something about Oppenheimer? Because I saw it and uh, I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. I liked watching it. I think that it's uh, it's a little weird how it's balanced because it's very short um uh, very short scenes up until the the bomb going off, and then as soon as you get to the the dueling uh, conferences, uh, the scenes get longer, or they feel longer anyway. Uh, and you know that is an accurate way to, to depict someone's life retrospectively. You know, it gets longer as you get closer to the end. It stretches out, you know, like a, a singularity. Uh, and we know our boy uh, Nolan loves his time dilation. Um, so I think the, the latter half it drags a little bit, although the latter half does have my favorite scene in the movie, which is Gary Oldman's demonic hick, Harry Truman, uh, just being fully contemptuous of Oppenheimer's, uh, 
pretensions of moral ambiguity. Uh, and I think people have said, like, some people have interpreted that scene as, uh, you know, uh, Harry Truman uh, wanting the credit for the bomb. And others are saying, no, you know, he's he's uh, he's indicting Oppenheimer's uh, cowardice. And the thing is, it's it's they're both true, you know. Uh, like, there is the horror of the realization of this guy who had convinced himself we have to build the bomb so that people will be properly afraid of it. Coming face to face with who people in charge are and who how they are not people who give a shit about any of that stuff. In fact, they're people who are turned on by the prospect of mass death and who are going to be morbidly compelled to move closer and closer towards it. That's who accumulates around power. But also, like there is something more virtuous to Truman's maybe psychopathic acceptance of responsibility. I dropped the bomb. He didn't. Fucking crybaby. Because I don't see how anybody could see the movie as, as, as being, uh, as excusing Oppenheimer's character. It's just deeply, deeply uh, critical of him as a character. He is a uh, cipher and a coward throughout. And that's the kind of person who gets bent to, that's the kind of person whose genius and abilities get bent to the will of a uncaring and impersonal machinery. And like even a guy like Harry Truman, he is a demonic hillbilly, but he is also uh, trapped in gears. And to me, the best part of the movie is that Nolan's limitations as a filmmaker, his literal mindedness, uh, it limits his ability to really try to get across what he is trying to emotionally, which is the reality of the the machine world harp that the bomb was a harbinger of. A machine world that was built by a bunch of people with their with some variety of good intention, but that intention mixed with personal selfish interest alchemizing into being this this uh, alien machine consciousness powered by literally the sun, a god, if you will, a new god on earth. And the people who built it, none of them were seeking its its creation. They were seeking some other horizon. But while their eyes were on that horizon, they were, in, with their hands, building something terrible. And Nolan can't really get at what he's trying to come across, because like I said, he is too literal-minded. He gets, he has a few uh, moments of artistic license, like when the hand, the black, the gloved hand is briefly shown uh, drowning his girlfriend, his communist girlfriend. Uh, and when you know he, he gets his panic attacks and the screen starts to shake and it gets light, but uh, for the most part, you know he's stuck in his his literal register, and but he's gesturing towards it. He's reaching beyond his grasp, and just seeing him go for it kind of highlights the 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 shadow shape that he's trying to gesture towards. A lot of people have compared it to Oliver Stone, and I think that is an apt comparison because, but he does not have the lyric heart of Oliver Stone and the uh, will and the uh, uh, willingness to be embarrassing, basically, that uh, Stone had. The earnestness, if it will, the lack of calculation, the hot blood running through his veins. But even then, it's it's even the fact that even Nolan, a director as cool as Nolan, is trying to sketch this thing out makes its presence all the more resonant and dreadful when the movie ends.
like I get the purpose of the Strauss character and the Strauss turn, which is, oh, here's another guy who is motivated by a combination in his mind of best intention and uh, self-interest, destroying Oppenheimer the same way Oppenheimer destroyed all those Japanese people. Uh, and he will in turn be destroyed. Like that is the reason that that's in there. Because you have to show that this is not just one tragedy, that this is the tragedy of modern life being brought down by your adherence, your unconscious adherence to a machine of destruction. That and that destruction includes you. But it probably went too long. <laughs> I, I think they could have probably trimmed it. Uh, the bomb was nice. And uh, somebody says my favorite side character. You got to go with my boy, uh, David Krumholtz, uh, as Isidore Rosin was his name. Uh, I never heard of that guy, but uh, now he's awesome. And uh, because Krumholtz brought it. And I, I think I've said this before, but I love watching Krumholtz's career because he's about my age. And I remember him when I was a kid, he was a kid. He was in like Adam's Family Values, having a hard crush on Christina Ricci. And I was like, join the club. And then we, we aged at the same time. And like when I was into Apatow movies, as a guy of my uh, demographic was basically bound to be, because you know, I'm not a rebel. I'm not a I'm not outside the system. I am a, a product of it. I am a piece of I'm a fucking Pringle. Uh he was like a knock-around guy with the Apatow crew. And I'm like, hey, Krumholtz. And now, though, he's, like, aging into a real, like, fat, classic fat guy character actor. Like, who can play a, a, a authority figure or a lawyer or a scientist with, like, a bit of humor, uh, but also gravitas. And I compare him to, like, the millennial Saul Rubinek. Uh, and he's he is, like, Saul Rubinek in um, uh, Buster Scruggs. So, yes, love my Crumholtz. So yeah, I would say uh, thumbs up to Oppenheimer. Probably one of his better films for sure. But also, you know, it is what we can make right now, you know? And that does mean this sort of uh, uh, middle brow, you know, uh, engagement with the past. Like that's that's what money can get you nowadays. And it's like, it's one thing when that's one thing of a bunch of stuff you can get, but when it's the best thing you can get, it really does speak to a general decline in cultural production. And when I say that, that is not just me being a grumpy old man. I mean, it is looking at the material, the, eco the economic reality of uh, media has changed in fundamental ways. We still have media, and you could argue that it serves the same function it has historically, but the media that I think of when I say media is declining. But I mean, for my own sake, I'm also happy that Oppenheimer's excited because uh, I know anything I would want to create would be about that era as well. Uh, that 20-year period when the, 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 uh, uh, the, the being that was birthed by the Defeat of Christ at Armageddon, uh, a.k.a. the end of World War II. Uh, at this point, 
like documenting its its uh, existence is is sort of a bleak docudrama. If you want to get creative and artistic in any way, you really have to look backward. At least I think so. I'm not, or I'm not certainly not imaginative and good enough to go beyond that. So it's like everyone who's left who still wants to pay for media is going to want to hear a story about how we got here. Oh, uh, somebody asked Upton Sinclair movie instead of a straight biography of Upton Sinclair, which would be very interesting because he was a fascinating guy and an example, he, he's like a signal figure to like tie the Puritan tradition to like modern American progressivism and socialism. Like there is a strain of American leftism that is not Marxist really. And that, uh, was born in the communitarian impulse of, uh, like early new England and was then nurtured by uh, the Congregationalists who then became Universalists and then became, by the 19, or late 19th century, Spiritualists and eventually became like New Age Secularists. And a guy like Upton Sinclair, another guy like Henry Wallace, like exemplify that. But Upton Sinclair is more, even more interesting because he embodies the woo-woo element of it too because like he was big into, he wasn't just a socialist, but he was also big into... Uh, telekinesis he wrote a book about communicating with people uh, mind to mind called uh, spirit radio i believe which had a endorsement in the front by albert einstein although it's very condescending he's basically like well you know we don't really know anything about anything so this isn't any more ridiculous than any of the other stuff but i think an even more interesting take on the character would be an adaptation of a great book by uh Chris Batchelder called U.S. I think I might have mentioned it, uh, recommended on stream before. That would be a good movie to make. It's it's about a eternal Upton Sinclair who keeps getting dug up and executed by right wingers and then buried, uh, then unburied, uh, and then shot again. And you know, you know, he's a metaphor for the American left in general. It would be, a, and it gets at what like what a weird guy he was. You know, he had. Uh, he didn't just write like uh, exposés, although that was his bread and butter. Uh, he also wrote a series of sort of like espionage novels with this character Lanny Bud that were big like bestsellers when they came out, and I think he even won a Pulitzer Prize for one of them. Uh, and now are I think almost entirely out of print. But he wasn't a great he wasn't a great writer, you know, because that writing wasn't his first impulse. It was social change. And the book U.S. is largely about the difficulty of trying to do political art. It's interesting because you think about the the epic campaign in 1936 when he ran for governor and um, You see the way that the uh, capital in California played hardball in that election, like the way that uh, the Hollywood bigwigs were, they were literally doing fake news. They made the first like propaganda pseudo newsreels to show like hobos are coming from around the country to vote for Upton Sinclair so that they can get a free meal. Uh, and they docked their employees pay, including all the big stars to uh, donate to the Republican non-entity who was just like 
a, a complete husk, Frank Merriman, and how they were able to overcome uh, Sinclair's huge lead early on after the primaries uh, by swamping him and how, you know, he couldn't really respond. And you think, oh, if only he'd been a harder character, if he'd been, a, if he'd, he'd been less of a woolly-headed idealist a goofball. But who else could embody that message at that time, realistically? Who's going to get a major party nomination in a state like California, other than a celebrity who came at socialism not from the uh, class warfare streets, but from realms of abstraction and idealism and liberal uh, universalism? Because the former uh, is not uh, metabolizable by the electoral system because it de denies its pr principle, which is a cooperative democracy as opposed to a zone of constant nonstop class conflict. And the government as some sort of uh, all-class coalition affair that uh, uses democratic means to pursue ends uh, policies rather than the dictatorship of the bourgeois. But the book isn't really isn't about his life. It's it's yeah, this fictional zombie Upton Sinclair, but it's it's very good too. Who would play Upton Sinclair in a body biopic? That's a good question. We need need a big lanky guy. Honestly, the same the same answer, whoever you whatever answer you gave would probably also apply to uh, Eugene Debs bio biopic because they're both fucking they're both tall patrician looking string beans even though uh, Upton Sinclair was like from the declining New England aristocracy uh, and uh, uh, Debs was like from the from the Midwestern uh, the pioneer stock. But they both kind of look similar. Damn it, I'm on the wrong page. Where are you? Ah. Oh, did I get rid of it? I think I got rid of the chat. There it is. Debs's family actually was uh were from money, but you know they were relatively recent immigrants, as opposed to Sinclair's, who uh were old time like Mayflower types. I haven't seen Barbie yet. I will though. I know I have to. I know that you, if you see one, you're declaring war on the gender of the other, and I don't want to declare war on ladies. So I will uh, 
I will see it, but I have not yet. Playing around in the in the uh, the petroleum uh, graveyard bequeathed to us by the nuclear age, like that that creature, that techno machine powered by the sun that Oppenheimer helped give life to at the end of World War II, it took the world from us, and what it left us with is a uh, pseudo realm where we get to play with its products, with the things that it shits out as it consumes the world. It chews through the biome and shits things out. And we get to live in uh, a sandbox of its turds. And that's what I'm going to bring to Barbie. Like, okay, you know, we're talking about mid-century toys, which is part of the process of building the consumer uh, heaven that the workers at the core of this new capitalist regime uh, would be incentivized with. You know, like uh, big, big cars with fins for the dads and uh, little plastic dolls for the boys and girls. Barbiturates and frock coats for the moms. Someone says that uh, Elon Musk has had hair plugs 22 times. I believe it. I got to say, that's how you know the, uh, that um, in terms of, like, personal charisma, you know, like, in a room with, of the, of the super billionaires, I hate to say it, but it's clear that Bezos is, like, the alpha of that group. And one of the ways you know that is that when his hair started falling out, he just shaved his head. And he was like, yeah, that's right. I'm a fucking rip reptile man on HGH. Meanwhile, you got fucking uh, Musk stapling carpet samples to his forehead. That is, you're coming from hunger. You are, you are deeply insecure and you're never going to be able to command a room. Bezos was from money, and he famously got a $100,000 loan from his parents to start Amazon. Uh, but he was, he, I don't think his parents were as well, I don't actually know if his parents were as wealthy as uh, as Elon's were. I, Zuckerberg, I think, was from, from professionals, right? His parents were like uh, college professors or lawyers or something, I believe. It'll be really interesting to watch uh, the the different rich people as they start taking Ozempic, and you sort of see them get weirdly thin, like not just thin but weirdly thin, and just call it out as it's kind of spreading up and down the celebrity wheel.
and God bless them. You know, I don't, uh, I don't begrudge them their right to do so. Uh, I don't think you should, you know, shame people at this point for just trying to get through. You know, that is a big political difference. Uh, it's like, to what degree is it, uh, is it uh, incumbent upon you to stand athwart folly and shout, stop? How incumbent is it you to like say to, to say that like social pathologies are real, and I gotta say uh, not very because all you're doing to, is wrapping yourself in a flag of righteousness and branding yourself as one side or another of a affective culture war uh, that doesn't make anybody's life better either, and that it's just another brand of uh, of of pathological solace seeking. Okay, somebody asked about the West African coup situation, and this is one where I don't really know that much, but I think this isn't... I, I want, would like to know the answer to this question uh, and how people have like metabolized this. So, people have pointed out that all of these generals who've been doing coups in the Sahel got training by the United States. They were part of that core of officers that got uh, picked out, you know, as, as the... Uh, colonial administrators for American power in the region, you know? But now you've got a situation where ECOWAS, which is an American cat's paw, like ECOWAS is part of the whole NATO complex of uh, American hegemonic uh, military force deployment, is now threatening to invade Niger uh, to overthrow uh, their coup government. And these guys are apparently collaborating with Wagner Group dudes. So does this mean then that the rubric that has said historically, anytime you see a formerly, uh, uh, some group that was formerly trained by the United States doing a coup, doing some sort of bad thing, that it is on American orders. Like the classic example of this are the Zetas uh, in uh, Mexico, who were special forces uh operators from Mexico who'd been intensely trained by the United States to be the point of the spear of the Mexican uh, war on drugs. And they promptly took their talents to the Gulf cartel and then eventually became their own cartel, noted for their extraordinary ruthlessness, much like ISIS in the uh, post-Iraq uh, civil conflict in Syria. And in ISIS... What do you have? You have a leadership that was, in the case of the original ISIS, imprisoned in American military uh, prisons. In the case of the, the ISIS in uh, Afghanistan, uh, that is now at war with the Taliban, our old enemy, uh, you've got guys who like were literally on American, who got American training and were on the American payroll and worked for American approved warlords. And the, that does look to one that one's what does look like to one from one perspective by this seamless garment of oh you know it is in the interest in any one of these uh, uh, unstable situations to control both ends of the of a dynamic by having a side that you have uh, chosen backed and then also having a um, 
uh, a control over like the most violent element so that it can be directed. And then its existence can be used to justify further spending and involvement. Like that's all, that all makes sense. It all tracks. But then you got these fucking guys in the Sahel who are taking their American training to South Beach. Is that part of the same plan? Or can sometimes American uh, assets turn? Now, the way I think you could distinguish this, if you wanted to save your premise, is that the distinction between these things is that now, for the first time, guys like the generals and colonels that we train in the Sahel see an alternative to American hegemony to pursue an alliance with. And because now Wagner standing in for Russia and and the, the prospect of China out there willing to spend uh, to develop African countries, now gives these guys an incentive to turn against their former masters. Whereas in previous situations, those forces that Americans were backing had really nowhere else to go. Perhaps. I don't know. That's why I don't sit from my part and point out psyops and fucking operations because how the fuck do i know all i have is a rubric to apply but the very thing about these rubrics heuristics is that they guide an encounter with evidence that i'm not going to have because i'm not going to find anything out really about what's going on anywhere and I feel like it'd be more healthy if more people understood exactly how limited their perspective is, no matter how expansive it appears through the glamour, through the fucking lens of, uh, of uh, the internet. And when you're at that distance, all that you can see is the fucking, uh, is the image, is, is, is the thing. Like, it's like, if you think of a heuristic as like a target, you know, like a crosshairs on a scope, and then you're trying to like, you know, beat in on something, you're so fucking far away from what you're looking at and so close to the fucking lens that all you're seeing is the big cross in the middle and everything else is blurry. And then you're describing that like it's the world. So I'm happy to say I have no idea. That's just something I thought was interesting. And that's all I'm here to do is to be mildly interesting to be more, uh, be more, to be a more entertaining option than staring at the wall for the people who tune it. As always, the message is: do not invest in these things as uh, are as part of an identity, as a way to interact with other people, as a way to guide your understanding of you know the life you you live, as opposed to the life that you. Uh, encounter uh, in a pseudo form. And again, this is just me reminding myself to not get carried away. It does seem uh, like the Ukrainians, uh, that whole thing is not going well, though. Not seeing even the Ukrainian sources, the pro-Ukrainian sources like the New York Times are even kind of admitting that it's not going great. And when you consider how fervently they were in unison and in insisting that Ukraine had this for them to now be like, God damn, we tried to train these people so that they could do combined arms assaults. And now 
they're all getting their asses kicked, so they just went back to walking artillery up and down the fucking field and launching missiles, which are fucking finite, way cheap, way more expensive than fucking AK rounds, you motherfuckers. Come on. You're running, we're running out of fucking uh, ammo. Although I got to feel like for now, that is still an endless well to, to have, uh, uh, to dump a surplus into. You know, I do wonder if it would do uh, if it would be to the rhetorical advantage of China, maybe to. Uh, I guess not. They, I, I think, yeah. Just for someone to articulate the idea that, like, it's not the U.S. is defending like a free world against a uh, some sort of uh, subordinated authoritarian's, uh, you know, empire. Uh, but it's also not, you know, a campus epic third world is defeating Washington's, uh, uh, you know, uh, America can empire. It is to compete for spheres of influence, you know, in the 19th century pre-ideological sense. But of course, you point out that led to World War One, and you're like, ah, shit. Yeah, there's really no way out of uh, out of the conflict unless uh, unless technology saves us. That's really it, and it feels like even more our our the world that we're fed. I'm not talking about the world we the life we live, the life we lead, but the life that we are fed is filled with these tokens of annihilation and uh, political annihilation uh, and natural annihilation or technological salvation. And I think it is not the, the point is not to pick one or the other. The point is to accept them as both the, the poles generated by a giant social psyche uh, encountering a real mental break and, and in, in going through a mental break towards or away from one or another versions of the future. Not one or another, of course, infinite, but like broad strands, like how it's going to turn out. And it's going to look different than it is now. But that process is a continuous one and it does not, it is not made up of a final irrevocable break. It's made up of smaller breaks that are then, after they happen, assimilated into a new normal. And, and we continue to be suspended between those two poles. Between salvation and damnation. And then we all get our individual salvation or damnation or uh, both one than the other. That's my theory. Uh, damnation first, then salvation. Uh, we all get it individually, but like the the, the social uh, apotheosis we seek is not coming. And if that's not going to happen, because as I said, that battle was already fought and we lost, then how do we uh, gather together as many people to uh, experience something other than that in their lives, something other than the continued march to annihilation. And that only comes if you have something else that uh, defies the world is fed to you, the world that you can that you are choosing to consume also. It's not just being force-fed, 
people think of it in those terms. Oh, you're force feeding me this ideology. No, this is a mutual relationship. It's a, it's a, it's a nectar. It's a, it's a nepenthe. It is opium, but not just in the, in the pathological sense of opium, but in the sense Marx used it at as a soother of pain, pain that must be soothed for life to continue. Yeah, it's like, oh, aliens are just going to show up at the fucking UN and fix everything? We're going to get room temperature super colliders? And we think the accumulation means that apotheosis is near, but we are absolutely, uh, the one thing we cannot really reckon with in when we're trying to consider a moment in time is that over time, the ability to accommodate a more and more granularly populated data set where... Vital stuff is pushed out to make room, but where the 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 it, it, the uh, it is essentially an endless input until, of course, everything gets clogged up and then you explode. And that is what we're all in the process of doing. But those explosions, because we are deatomized and we are depoliticized, they do not that 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 explosion does not pressure power a like a piston action the way it does in a revolutionary situation. It's just dispersed because there is no vessel to contain it those vessels have been destroyed what comes next is an organic re re-emergence of something that is not maybe a automobile but is a social and biological machine capable of survival and that will emerge like fucking roots and uh and and weeds growing up through that the cracked engine of a junked car. Yes, guild navigators, that's what we need. We need people to uh, eat this stuff and let it poison them, but then also spew it. And uh, you know what? What a coincidence. I think I'm just the man for the job. I get to keep doing this in any world. Uh, what a, I am so lucky. What, what, what are the odds that I am perfectly positioned to do the right thing? God, what a coincidence. Better not think about that too hard. All right. Let's do another fun thing to do that's just fun. It's just fun, like I said. More fun than looking at your, uh, more fun than looking at Twitter. Although you might be doing that too. More fun than looking at Twitter and watching something else. I guess. More fun than whatever menial task you're doing while you're listening to this, and that's all again that I uh, can aspire to. So we got one more pack, another pack here. We have more than one, but this is today's pack of Gulf War trading cards. We've got. A military asset, the A7 Corsair. This is pretty cool looking. Corsair, of course, an old-timey way to say pirate. The Barbary Corsairs. First flown in 1965, the A7 has been phased out. Well, shit, why am I even talking about it then? After long service to both the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy. 
That modern version can carry more than 15,000 pounds of armament and has a reputation for delivering its weapons on target. Oh, well, that's good. For Operation Desert Storm, 20 A7s were deployed in the Persian Gulf. So this guy's this guy's out of here. Bye-bye. Manufacturer, LTV Core. Speed, 793 miles per hour. Range, uh, 943 miles uh, combat. Armament, one 20-millimeter gun, variety of missiles, including Sidewinder, Maverick, Shrike, Harm, or Bomb. One-man crew. We love one of those. Yes, the Corsair. Te specifically, as someone points out, always a Muslim pirate. Like I said, the Barbary Corsairs. Uh, and Muslim piracy was a good gig. Uh, it's like one of the best things that could happen to you if you like were a uh, Catholic child in a uh, like Calabrian village. Is that a fucking Barbary Corsair would roll up, you get abducted, you get brought onto a ship, they convert you to Islam, and if you have a little bit of gumption, if you had a little uh, get up and go, in in only a few years, you'll be in command of your own motherfucking Corsair and stacking ducats. And also, what a way to convert someone to a religion, you know? Like, sure, they probably didn't uh, necessarily believe it when you did it to them as a children, child on, uh, forcefully. But after, hey, I accepted Allah, and now I am fucking making it here of course you're going to be uh you're going to be convinced yep that Allah he's way better than Jesus I was I was fucking mucking stalls with Jesus around fuck him all right we've got the uh, uh fighting ship the USS Ranger the USS Ranger Ranger commissioned in 1957 the USS Ranger was the first ship designed exclusively as an aircraft carrier uh, of the Forrestal class, she is larger than her sister carrier in the Persian Gulf Midway by more than 10,000 tons. Holy crap, why were we even reading about Midway earlier? Fuck them. The Ranger ordered to the Persian Gulf in November 1990 carries an assortment of 85 aircraft. Home port is San Diego. Displacement, 79,200 tons. Full load, length, 1,039 feet. Speed, 33 knots. Aircraft, uh, 85, and a crew of 6,280. 89. It doesn't say any Marines, though, on this one. Interesting. I guess there's no law on the Ranger. There's no one to throw you in the brig if you want to get nasty. Okay, we got the intelligence files here. Rank. Very important to the military. Very important to the military. Gotta say, uh, it's, it's not a great sign for communism. That, or at least some of the you know associated assumptions around communism, as it's been practiced historically, that every time a uh, army uh, abolishes rank, uh, they end up reinstituting it one way or the other. It's like when you're when you're trying to kill get people killed, you really cannot abide to talk about who's going to get killed, because the uh, at that point there is a full conflict between each member of the group because it's a zero-sum game of dying or not dying and uh, it, it, you can't have unit cohesion at that point military rank is the position in a chain of command through which information and orders are transmitted for the non-naval forces the basic positions from top down are general colonel major captain lieutenant sergeant corporal and private 
For the U.S. Navy, the officer positions are Admiral, Captain, Commander, Lieutenant, and Ensign. Intermediate ranks exist between some of these positions. Some says some people say it hasn't happened that often. Well, yeah, communist revolutions are relatively rare in history. I mean, they've only been possible in the last, like, less than 200 years anyway. Um, but, you know, the Bolshevik army, the Red Army, started off. The Bolshevik revolution was, in large part, a soldier's revolt among conscripted fucking peasants. And one of the things they immediately insisted on was we're not going to fucking salute anybody and take orders from some fucking aristo. And that did not last. The uh, anarchists tried to do uh, sort of non-hierarchical militias, uh, and that did not last either. Yes, they were sort of forced to by the communist uh, bourgeois government, the, the, the popular front between the bourgeois and the communists. Uh, but you know they were a lot. They they were unable to defeat that. You know if if it's if it's if it works, it should work against guys who really you know they have they've hoarded the weaponry from the Soviets, but it's not that much of a of a uh, of a conflict. I mean, it's not that much of a. It's not wildly out of size, and you got a big number of guys in concentrated in places like Aragon and 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 in Catalonia. But they just, they couldn't, they could not. Then the big test was in May when the communists came for the socialist or the anarchists' uh, social power. When it, they came for their control of infrastructure uh, and control of military units and the uh, uh, control of production among the cooperatives. They could not marshal a defense. Uh, their grassroots wanted to fight, but the leadership could not realistically imagine coordinating them and so they save their own asses which leadership is always going to do and even the anarchists ended up with leaders because you're in a fucking crisis you're in a moment of complete extremity and those are the moments when historically hierarchy is temporarily essential Somebody says, the Spanish Civil War makes you really feel like the entire project is doomed. And that is a very interesting thing to say because I think that that, to get Bill Clinton on it for a second, I believe that is 100% accurate as long as we agree on what the term the project is. Now, if we describe the project narrowly as the, the Judeo-Christian socialist vision of uh, of of transcending class society through the app the, through socialization and the application of technology we want to call it that that project i believe that was a 20th century project that was uh, defeated over the course of the 21st century starting gunfire in Sarajevo Sarajevo in 1914 uh, uh, the the tide turning the 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 uh, Battle, the most meaningful battle, the outcome determining battle being won at the end of World War II, and then the final, uh, the final route uh, in the early '90s with the end of the Soviet Union. And the, the Spanish Civil War really does exemplify exactly why that project failed. And the big, the big reason, and this is what the thesis of my Spanish Civil War series I'm writing right now is, is it comes down to. Uh, the 
the spatial and temporal shape of the communist movement, the, however you want to define it, incorporating not a specific agenda, but a generalized idea that animated people everywhere to one degree or another, either in opposition to or in support of, polarized towards. And of course, the way they act is contradictory. Sometimes it helps that cause, sometimes it hurts it. Sometimes it can do both at the same time. Judeo-Christian is a made-up term, but uh, the idea of the, the, a monotheistic uh, a, mono, a, a monotheistic conception of of of, of uh, the universe that puts the self one self defined as a member of a group at the center of it begets the the intellectual lineage that is on top of the machine of capitalism that we live within. And it's been developed over the centuries through that machine's operation. And it created within it contradictions, new emergence, and, and uh, counter-hegemonic notions. And socialism is the 19th century variant of that, like the Peasants' Wars had been of the 16, 1500s. But you have a situation where war takes a process that is happening nationally at a given pace in every country and forces them to confront the necessity of modern state building at the same moment. Like everybody was getting to capitalism by their own speed. But then in 1914, that is no longer an option. Speed has to be maximized. Countries that are behind have to catch up fast. But they do not have the developed the capacities to do that. So their social organism is destroyed by contradictions. But different contradictions in each country, creating different oppositional frameworks, incorporating different elements of the society whose encounter with capitalism is coming from a different perspective. In Spain specifically, you have people who are encountering the, uh, they missed World War I, right? Spain did, because they were so far behind that they didn't even bother competing. And because due to that fact, their class war was kept at a certain manageable level, which was, it was becoming unmanageable in the other countries, more developed countries of Europe. Now, Russia is of course even less developed than Spain, but it is more devoted to a territorial empire. Empire is crucial to its mode of production in the feudal sense, not in the uh, modern uh, imperial sense. And so it's slower in Spain, but you already by the by the nineteen forty by the nineteen teens you have this anarchist movement emerge among the most recently dispossessed peasants of the South, the people who went from having land to not having land anymore and did not trade land for capital the way that city dwellers and even the priests did after uh, the introduction of capitalism through the external invasion of uh, France in, 19, in 1808 that kickstarts the whole process because it's war that aligns, that, that, that brings a 
that takes a one pace of change and accelerates it to a standard pace of change in order to meet a moment of conflict. Now, Spain avoids World War I, but it creates a boom in their economy as a result that raises expectation, connects these people even more thoroughly to modern media, to uh, social technologies. So that by the 30s roll around, you have a situation where the dispossessed peasants who in other countries have been moved through a process of proletarianization to the point where their uh, enmeshment in a modern state structure is taken not as a threat to their identity and the annihilation of all that is good. It is seen as sort of their natural environment. And the socialist uh, horizon is a way to use that position to move through to a higher level of that development. But for the anarchists of the countryside and, and in uh, Barcelona, uh, that, that modern subjectivity was an imprisonment. It had no positive elements to it. And among, like in Catalonia, for example, you had these medium-sized textile concerns that ran the city and ran, ran, ran the economy but because they were able to exert protectionism all through the 19th century, uh, they were not forced to uh, come together into conglomerates the way that freer trading liberal states in, the, in Europe and, the United, and, and also in, in North America did. So they kept these smaller family firms that were not able to be like wired into a governing, uh, uh, like a bureaucratizing um, uh, disciplinary structure like was built in the United States. Uh, the progressive kind of cage on uh, these newly built uh, uh, monarch uh, monopolies, because they're so so concentrated, they can be easily suborned. These regional uh, little these little dictators, these little family mafias running the textile firms in uh, Barcelona refused any deal with the workers, and the state couldn't make them make a deal with the workers. The state couldn't make them ameliorate the conditions of the workers. All the state did was send civil guards to kill them and allow the owners to hire fake uh, union members, fake syndicalists, who were essentially just criminals to shoot them in the streets and not have any consequences. So there is no, they had not been integrated in anything. And, and, and in the countryside, the people who became the CNT base in rural Catalonia and uh, Andalusia and Aragon were the dispossessed of the countryside who weren't, didn't even have the capacity, uh, didn't have the uh, uh, spoons, basically, to move to fucking uh, Barcelona and get a factory job. Instead, they were idle for months and months and months in the countryside, worked working uh, only seasonally for the owners of the latifundias, the vast estates there. Uh, and... They were always on the very edge of uh, starvation. Uh, they, they ate little, and they lived in flea-ridden barracks. They wore sandals and straw hats. They were totally socially isolated because in the cities, like your professional class, they might very well like be of the former. They might have. They might be like the child of a uh, of someone who came from the countryside to get a factory job. You know, uh, they could have some sort of solidarity based on like that family experience with a worker. 
and they could have a political uh, sympathy with a worker. Uh, because even in the in the cities, workers, you know, uh, they had a minimum standard of dress they were afforded by their position. In the countryside, the divide between the landless workers, the Braceros, and everybody else, anybody with a job, was so vast that there was no solidarity. Like, you might be a professional in a village, uh, or a clerk, or a paper pusher, or even a waiter, but you wear shoes, you wear a tie. And that puts you at a fundamental uh, distance from the sandals and straw hats of the Bracero. So they're totally isolated, not being integrated into capitalism with any kind of carrot, pure stick. So they're, by the time the Spanish Civil War crisis emerges, they are fundamentally resistant to the imposition of a state that Marxists, by this point, who, ex who uh, were entering their engagement, their final conflict with, with uh, capitalism, at a different point, having been often factory workers for years, if not generations, often being intellectuals, often being uh, bureaucrats and professionals, often getting benefits through their encounter with modernity, and also con confident that the state apparatus can be used for good. And there is no reconciling those two perspectives because they are made by different times and places encountering capitalism at a critical moment when they're brought together by these new social technologies. I got off on a rant there, didn't I? Um, now, the what if that might have saved the uh, Republic is not the anarchists getting their shit together. It's what if the fucking Western democracies had backed the Republic? They had a real chance to win if France and the UK had supported them materially, had recognized Franco's rising as illegitimate uh, and, and made solidarity, which the French Popular Front government, which was basically the same collection of Marxists and bourgeois liberals that was ruling in, that got, that got overthrown or attempted overthrown uh, in July of 36 in Spain, they at first made moves to supply Spain with arms, but England said no. Because England's policy, and this is what undergirds appeasement, and which is often forgotten about when discussing appeasement, Britain's policy was some sort of uh, rapprochement with the, with the fascist states against the Soviet Union. That's what they wanted. They wanted Hitler to settle down, take yes for an answer, and orient towards uh, orient towards co conflict with the Soviet Union. But Hitler would take no for would not take no for an answer because you know fascism is this is the death drive. It's not going to allow. Uh, it, it doesn't have the people in it aren't again encountering capitalism at the same time and place as those fat cats in Whitehall. Now, like guys like Anthony Eden uh, in the uh, foreign ministry, like they personally, some of them wanted the Republic to win. They were rooting for the Republic, but they didn't want to upset the apple cart. And this is where, I'm sorry for the communists, you know, the, 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 the cosplay communists who like look at the Spanish Civil War and root and imagine they're on one side 
they look at they look at it and they're like, "You dumb anarchists! You didn't realize that you needed to get your shit together. If we're going to win this thing, we have to be coordinated, uh, and we have to like accept that this is that these are the the state is the the implement of this battle that we're having. That there is no other zone of uh, of conflict worth having, which I think is what was being slowly realized during that period, but too late because of the temporal spatial distinctions. But the the communists were. Uh, Kidding themselves too. They were kidding themselves that there was a basic, uh, a basic feeling among the Repu- of the um, bourgeois states that fascism had to be defeated. That they saw fascism as the same threat that communists did, and that is not the case. Capital uh, people say liberals always prefer fascists, and it's like that's it's. If that's true, it is simply because liberals are not, at the end, scared for themselves under a fascist regime. And when I say that, I don't mean all liberals. I mean liberals where it counts. Liberals in positions of power. They always believe that it will not come for them. Because they believe that politics, at the end of the day, is kind of a game. And I have my team, you have your team. I'm rooting for my guys, you're rooting for your guys. But at the end of every day, we just get back and we... We divide our spoils for the day, the, the profits that we've extracted. And the thing is, they're re- right to think that because fascism does have the same capitalist political economy powering it. Liberals will see communism, though, as their annihilation. So no long-term deal can be made. And yes, eventually there was a point where the the the, the where England was like, all right, like we told you how much you can have, and you're still going. So, you are now the you are as much as we want to orient against the Soviets. You are a greater threat right now to our interests. You are coming for a. You are trying to overturn a global economic and political order that we are at the top of. You are not trying. I know you're just trying to get your your snoot at the table of the empires, but it's too late. We already divided all this shit. You cannot do this. Flag on the play. And they had there was this beautiful popular front moment when you could be a communist and a good Democrat in the United States, for example, and it was amazing, and people wanted it to last forever. But slowly but surely, that uh, the capitalist part of that coalition was working behind the back of their allies to secure a post-war world where the defeated quote unquote Nazis were incorp and the defeated quote unquote fascists were incorporated into a new front to dominate the former colonial world and prevent it from socializing its economy. And the fucking, the, 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 the uh, Spanish communists got, found they found out too late when Madrid fell that they were just waiting for it to end. And by that point, everybody just wanted the war to just wind down because they all accepted war was going to come, but they did not want it to happen where they were not anticipating it. And Spain was always somebody else's baby by that point, and they just wanted it to wind down before they found a real like uh, action to orient around. And it's because everybody was caught in a Kobayashi Maru. It was an unwinnable war based on the way that the, the, the tiles were flipped, you know? But to get way back to the, 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 uh, the question that somebody asked <laughs> about, you know, does that mean that uh, the project was, is over? Again, 
this is the project I'm describing. But we should not conflate that, conflate that project with the human project, with the project of consciousness coming into awareness and encounter with itself. That project can never be defeated. That project is what lit the souls of everyone who was pushed in the right direction during those holy years. And it is what will start to burn again within all of us. And is. And yes, like uh, Oppenheimer is a good example of this. Oppenheimer thought he was saving the world for the Nazis. But he was handing over the world to the Nazis in the form of the capitalist gargoyle class that controlled fascist and democratic governments. And which at that time had the communists along for the ride with, but the communists had a faith in their basic humanity and to the general arc of history that turned out to be misplaced because it was self-motivated. And I could argue, people will get mad, but I could argue that that wrong turn was inevitable the moment that the Soviet Union became the materialized vessel of the communist horizon. We think of it as the thing that allowed for possibilities, and it did, but it also foreclosed other possibilities. And since we are now in the backwash, I think we can say, without controversy, or it shouldn't be, that at some point, this was lost, and that was when. What was the guy supposed to do, though? I know, that's the thing. It's nobody's fault. Everyone's acting according to what they think is the, the terrain that they surround themselves with. We move through history, and only in, in uh, the stillness, only in moments of stillness does like the greater shape illuminate us and, and allow us to feel it. Uh, and... and allows things to emerge, to erupt, to break through a sort of a glacial determinism. Yeah, FDR's body basically shut down because it could no longer handle the contradictions that he was trying to, inhold, uh, in, uh, to in, embody. He was holding within himself this entire coalition that was just breaking apart as the conflict was reaching its critical mass. Okay, we beat the Soviets, we beat the Japanese. Now, what are we going to do about uh, the economies of these countries? How are they going to be organized? Where is power going to reside? That is the fatal conflict. And he was just standing and thwart it until his head exploded. And with like Lincoln was in the same position and his head also exploded. And Kennedy, obviously, a, a, I would argue, a absolutely pale imitation of those two people and an evidence of just how like character is leached out of power over time in capitalism. But similarly, like a thwart a barrel in terms of democratic governance of a uh, secret Nazi state. And all their heads exploded. Like they're... 
their inability to manage the contradictions. Because remember, if they did manage the contradictions, they wouldn't be dead one way or the other. FDR's health would have been better. He wouldn't have had a uh, a, a FDR. I think I've said this before, but I believe his his blood pressure taken before he went to Warm Springs, Arkansas, or Georgia, where he died, was like something like three hundred and fifty over like uh, one hundred and fifty. It was comically high. Someone's pointed it out before. I said this before, but yeah, that that's that's just him fucking a kettle. Like one way or another, the pressure destroying him, and. With Lincoln and Kennedy, the, the pressure uh, evinced in this marshalling of hostility to him, and this is the important part, for both of them, it, reckless behavior. Because Abraham Lincoln, I would argue, going to the fucking cinema, sorry, going to the theater, Abraham Lincoln going to the theater with one drunk sitting on a stool as the Confederacy was writhing its and dying on the battlefield, was asking for it. JFK refusing to put the bubble top on the fucking uh, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln, remember, it was a Lincoln he was driving, and just being like, now, it's a beautiful day in Dallas. Let's get some fucking wind in our hair. At the very moment that I'm threatening to smash, uh, that I'm threatening to, if, if you believe in conspiracy stuff, the very moment that he's threatening to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces, or the very moment he's planning, like, uh, the end of the Cold War, which I don't believe at all. I think that is fantasy uh, 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 daddy worship. That's like, he, if he's going to be that important a character, uh, he has to be that great a character. And it's like, no, that is you wanting everything to be a storybook. He can be kind of a dumb, kind of a himbo who had, like, basically his heart in the right place who got in fucking way over his head because he didn't realize the country he was in charge of. He doesn't have to be the guy who embodied an alternative to the fucking Cold War. But he has to if your ego requires it to be the case. But it, even if you don't think that, everyone, half the country hated Kennedy by that point because of the Civil Rights Act that was in the offing and that he hadn't even passed yet. There were there were uh, there were newspapers that had wanted for treason ads posted by militias, the fucking uh, the Minutemen. Adley Stevenson uh, had been spit on and hit at a hotel in Dallas, as you know. Uh, uh, Oliver Stone, by the way, has um, Donald Sutherland say all this stuff in his big speech in JFK to just highlight how how in danger JFK was. But at no point does anyone say, well, how the hell didn't he think to be a little more careful and not just go along, be led by his nose, and then insist on leaving the bubble top uh, uh, off? I can't handle this contradiction. My head will explode. This is also me narrating my own uh, hypochondria about the idea that I'm also going to have like a stroke and my head's going to cave in. And I think if it does happen, I don't, it could, it's probably neuro neuroses largely, but it's probably based on some physiological thing, you know, but it could be wait years, years in the future. It could be tomorrow. I don't know, but either way, uh, I'll think of it in those terms of, you know, we're all eventually done in by our inability to face the contradictions of our lives.
because we see a resolution of those contradictions as the annihilation of us. And we are so very addicted to us. All right, let's get through this quickly. Uh, ooh, Syria. Our buddy is in Syria. Syria has participated in the Arab-Israeli wars of 18... I think I had this one again, too. It says that it adopted a radical stance in the Middle East of supporting international terrorism. And then it says, despite these unfriendly positions towards the West, Syria is a member of the coalition forces, which really does say no hard feelings. Uh, geographic area, 71,498 square miles, population 12.6 million, language Arabic, predominant religion, Islam Sunni, although, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's some Alawites in there, and it's caused some problems. Capital, Damascus, government type, republic under a left-wing military regime. Ah, remember, they are the, the, Bat, the Arab Ba'ath Socialist Party. Head of government, good old President Haifas al-Assad, a real uh, pimp player who, uh, who kept it all together his whole life. But the thing about that kind of personal union, unless you're giving birth to something different and sacrificing yourself in the attempt, if you hold on to it too long, you create a brittle inheritance that will crumble in the hands of your uh, your predecessor, your uh, descendants. Which, of course, is the process that we are in right now. Which is why all of our media is about failed children failing to live up to their parents. It's an understanding that that is why we cannot handle the crisis we're in. Because uh, even if we could use the machine we have to a positive purpose, the people who could do it have been uh, completely uh, edited out of power over time by the persistence of a aristocracy that clothes itself in merit, but which is as decadent and failed as any previous uh, 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 strictly, uh, what's the word? Uh, strictly inherited, inherited. Yeah, a strictly inherited uh, aristocracy. Because you get like one, maybe two generations of mobility and merit under liberalism, and then it freezes. And we, like they said that thing about, oh, uh, good men, strong men, all that bullshit. It's like that framing is wrong because it, it uh, is, it dis it, it's it's um, explanatory power is nil. You're not explaining anything with that cycle. You're just narrating a a a, a social transformation. What is driving it at every level, and it is the establishment, the uh, perpetuation, and then the collapse of a underlying political economy that is inherently riven by social contradiction. And that over time accumulates greater and greater social contradiction. One of the things that makes crisis inevitable, though, is that crisis appears to a decadent leadership. 
at the very moment that leadership is most important and most potentially helpful, or again, this is within a system. This is a, a, within a, a leadership class. At that very moment, those uh, traits that allowed for the establishment of the thing are now detrimental or absent. All right, Bulgaria. Oh, my God. What do the Bulgars have to do with anything? The Bulgars. People's Republic of Bulgaria. I guess it hadn't fallen yet here. Located on the uh, Black Sea in the eastern section of the Baltic Balkan Peninsula, Bulgaria is currently in a tra transitional state of government. Yeah, I bet if they're still calling it the People's Republic. It is of historic significance for being a country of shared influence from Greece, Asia, the Near East, and Western Europe. After 500 years as part of the Ottoman Empire, Bulgaria achieved independence in 1908. It joined the United Nations in 1955. For the Operation Desert Storm, Bulgaria offered troops. That's interesting. It's saying they offered troops, not that they were accepted. They were like, hey, you want some troops? And we're like, we're good. We don't need Bulgarian troops. They're only going to get in the way. We got to feed them. Geographic area, 44,823 square miles. Population, 9 million. Languages, Bulgarian, Turkish, and Greek. Dominant religions, mainly atheistic or non-religious. Damn you, commies. Eastern Orthodoxy, some Islam, and Roman Catholicism. Capital of Sofia, government type. In transition. It's complicated. They should really have had it complicated on here. Head of government, President Andrei Lukanov. Whenever I think of Bulgaria, I think that there is a Byzantine emperor called Basil the Bulgar Slayer. He, he knew what he liked, and it was uh, slaying fucking Bulgars. We've got Oh, an armor and artillery weapon, the M109 DSWS Howitzer. This guy looks cool. I love a Howitzer. Big, thick barrel. It's a self-propelled Howitzer designed to add maximum mobility to the 155-millimeter Howitzer cannon and to provide artillery support for armored and mechanized infantry units in the field. In Operation Desert Storm, the M109 was part of both the coalition and Iraqi arsenals. How did that happen again? Jesus, we keep doing that. They keep getting a hold of our weapons. They must be sneaking into Fort Bragg and hot-wiring it. Manufacturer, Cadillac, Chrysler, BMW. Speed, 35 miles per hour. Range, 13.6 miles. Armament, 155-millimeter cannon, 112.7-millimeter or 7.62-millimeter machine gun. Crew of six. Damn, this is made by three different fucking companies. Really spreading the lucre around. Military skill. Heroes don't do drugs. Oh, here we go. Heroes don't do drugs, huh? Well, we're glad somebody does, or how are you going to pay for uh, half of your Contra guys in fucking Nicaragua? Or the, or the AUC in Colombia? None of the U.S. Armed Forces tolerates drug use? That's a good question. Have they relaxed that yet? Because I got to feel like they're going to have to at least let you smoke weed if they want anybody to join the army now. Drugs impair the ability to think and move. Well, I don't want that. Just 
Like in civilian life, a soldier's success and survival depend on clear thoughts and careful actions. Good soldiers and good civilians never take chances with illegal drugs. Don't do it. Legal drugs only. Yes, you live in a society where everything of value is a soporific. Where all, all ways to like self-create and, and self-define are commodified and uh, neutralized. So the only journey you can take is towards the soothing of pain. Don't do drugs. They really get you by the balls. Personnel, U.S. military, U.S. Naval Academy. The U.S. Naval Academy. To enter the academy, an applicant must be 22 years old, 17 to 22 years, a U.S. citizen, 17 to 22 years old, unmarried, not pregnant, and have no legal support obligations. Of good moral character, scholastically, medically, and physically fit, and nominated by an official source. Midshipmen receive approximately $500 a month, plus tuition, room, board, and medical and dental care. Graduates earn a Bachelor of Science degree and a commission as a Navy ensign or a Marine second lieutenant. So these are the, uh, the junior officers of the Navy. Uh, lieutenant would be the rank in the ground forces. Founded in uh, 1845 in Annapolis, Maryland. Good old Annapolis. People think that that's not the capital, but they are wrong. It is. Also, by the way, uh, 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 heroes don't do drugs. Somebody tell that to Fort Bragg. Every other fucking uh, operator there is either doing heroic amounts of cocaine, uh, selling it, or both. When they're not trafficking human beings. David the Admiral Robinson. He was very unhappy with Steve Nash uh, coming out against the Iraq War. Because he was a good military man. Government, the Kuwait system. Did we do the Kuwait system? We did Kuwait, but I don't know if we did the Kuwait system. Uh, let's just go there. They got an appointed prime minister, council of ministers, legislative authority shared by the emir and a 50-member national assembly. Democratically elected legislatures unique among the Gulf nations, but the emir suspended the assembly on July 3rd, 1986. Oops. Oh, well. Kuwait enjoys a relatively free press, but freedom is highly restricted for non-Kuwaiti nationals. A no type nominal constitutional monarchy. I like that. It's like, theoretically, there is not a constitutional... Uh, we have a constitution, but if, he, if the vibe isn't right, the emir can just say, never mind. National holiday, February 25th. Head of state, Emir Jaber al-Ahmad al-Sabah. Political parties, prohibited. Suffrage, native-born and naturalized males age 21 and older. And the last card of the day, Afghanistan. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You guys, you have no idea what's coming. I mean, you have had a lot of stuff, but now you're going to get, you just hold on. We got a whole lot more in store for you. You thought you were getting rid of the uh, Russians? Well, guess what? The uh, Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan in 1979 to put down revolts against communist rule. A government, a civil war fought, that's not really, kind of, I guess. 
That's a little... Eh. Uh, civil war followed in which the government and the Soviets controlled the cities while the guerrilla forces, or Mujahideen, ruled the countryside. Since the Soviet withdrawal in 1989, communist and Mujahideen factions continue to fight. The guerrilla force sent 500 Mujahideen fighters to help in Operation Desert Storm. What? I didn't know that. What were they doing? I guess, you know, it's like, uh, hey, pay it forward. You know, you helped us kick out the Russians. We'll help you kick out the Saudis. Uh, wait a minute. What's this? Oh, no. What? Oh, fuck. We're being blown up and, and invaded for 20 years. And then we'll leave. And then America will leave. Having built nothing and having only brought death. It's uh, astounding. Uh, geographical area, 250,000 square miles. Population, 15.9 million. Languages, Pushtu, Dari, and Persian. Predominant religion, Islam. Good old Sunni Islam. Although there are a very persecuted uh, Shia minority. Uh, honestly, could see a long-term war with Iran over that and other issues. Capital in Kabul. Government type. Communist regime supported by Soviet forces. So this is not, it has not yet happened yet. They have not yet kicked out the Russians. Head of government, President Mohammad Najibullah. So there you go. Tune in next week for uh, tune in to Blowback Season Four if you want to know more about what happens, what happened to Afghanistan till '91, and then what happens afterwards. We all we love our brave Mujahideen fighters, don't we, folks? We love them. I mean, yes, the communist regime was the best government Afghanistan ever had. That's for sure. But uh, the Soviet invasion is still a mistake. They really fucked themselves there. Yeah, the Afghanistan invasion came at a point for the Soviet Union when they needed to like look inward. And then instead, they decided to go to Afghanistan. And then they ended up having to do the looking inward way later and on a worse footing and with a much shakier economy. And uh, and the whole thing fucking collapsed. That's why if, you, if it feels like you should be going to war, you need to stop and ask yourself, what is pushing this? Like, what below the causes belly? What below the st strategy? What in the our political economy is pushing us in this direction? And the answer is there's a crisis somewhere within our social body that is not being addressed. And then we're like, well, we'll go to war instead of dealing with it. As a last, uh, as a last effort. Like somebody said to me when I was sort of criticizing Putin for invading Ukraine, he said, well, if you're, if you're saying that Putin thought, like, in the long run, that's the end of Russia if we don't uh, invade, then didn't he have to? And I'll say, well, no, he could have tried to do communism. And you can laugh at that and say, oh, that's stupid. But it's like, I'm sorry. Like, the form of the states that we currently have is not sacred. The polities that we have now are not sacred instruments. They are they're wrecks. They are shells.
But hey, who knows? Maybe this time it worked. Maybe maybe this invasion is going to have going to uh, knock over the American Leviathan. We'll see. And of course, the the dream a lot of uh, Western leftists have is that what I'm describing is actually what's happening in Russia or in China right now. Like China got to a crisis point or recognized crisis signs and is internally moving away from them using the structures of the party state that they were bequeathed from this 20th century struggle that may not be communist in any respect, but which still allowed themselves to be animated by like collaborative human will in a way that uh, the other governments of the world just can't do anymore, if they ever could. And that is a whether that's true or not is a question that I, from my distance, can't answer. I don't think anybody else who was really invested in one or the other answer being true uh, can either, honestly. We'll see what happens. It's not a big deal. We'll all meet each other in a field. A place beyond right and wrong. I'll meet you there. Peace.